Okay, today we're going to go to the book of Jonah. We're going to do the book of Jonah in one hour or in 45 minutes or less. <laughs> you laugh. You unbelievers, you don't think I can do it. <laughs> well, they have a saying in Spanish when you tease somebody with something. They say you put the candy in their mouth and let them taste it and then you take it out. And make it del caramelo de la boca. And uh, so that's what we're going to do. And I'm going to do it on purpose so that you'll go on and study the rest of the book yourself. There's no way you can finish the book of Jonah that fast. We're on our ninth week in the book of Jonah in Seville. But it's good to start with an overview. 48 verses. Take you less than 10 minutes to read the book. But it is so full of lessons for Christians. Let's just read. We're going to read a little of the first chapter. And then we're going to skip and read a little bit of each of the other chapters. Just to get an overview of the book. And then we'll come back and start in chapter 1. Okay, starting in chapter 1 in verse 1. Now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it. For their wickedness is come up before me. But Jonah rose up to flee unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord and went down to Joppa, and he found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare thereof and went down into it to go with them unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord sent out a great wind into the sea, and there was a mighty tempest in the sea so that the ship was like to be broken. Then the mariners were afraid. And cried every man unto his God, and cast forth the wares that were in the ship into the sea to lighten it of them. But Jonah was gone down into the sides of the ship, and he lay and was fast asleep. So the shipmaster came to him and said unto him, What meanest thou, O sleeper? Arise and call upon thy God, if so be that God will think upon us that we perish not. And they said every one to his fellow, Come, let us cast lots, that we may know for whose cause this evil is upon us. So they cast lots. And the lot fell upon Jonah. Then they said unto him, Tell us, we pray thee, for whose cause this evil is upon us? What, what is thine occupation? And whence comest thou? What is thy country? And of what people art thou? And he said unto them, I am a Hebrew. And I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, which hath made the sea and the dry land. And the men were exceedingly afraid, and said unto him, Why hast thou done this? For the men knew that he fled from the presence of the Lord. Because he had told them. Now come down to verse 15. And so they took up Jonah and cast him forth into the sea. And the sea ceased from her raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly. And offered a sacrifice unto the Lord and made vows. Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Then, chapter 2 verse 1. Then Jonah prayed. Under the Lord, under the Lord his God, out of the fish's belly. Verse 9 of chapter 2. But I will sacrifice unto thee with the voice of thanksgiving. I will pay that that I have vowed. Salvation is of the Lord. And the Lord spake unto the fish, and it vomited out Jonah upon the dry land. Chapter 3. And the word of the Lord came unto Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go unto Nineveh, that great city, and preach unto it the preaching that I bid thee. So Jonah arose and went into Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. 
And Nineveh was a great and exceeding great city of three days' journey. And Jonah began to enter into the city a day's journey. And he cried and said, Yet forty days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. So the people of Nineveh believed God and proclaimed a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them even unto the least of them. Verse 10. And God saw their works that they turned from their evil way. And God repented of the evil that he had said he would do unto them, and he did it not. Chapter 4. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was very angry. And he prayed unto the Lord and said, I pray thee, O Lord, was not this my saying when I was yet in my country? Therefore I fled before unto Tarshish. For I knew that thou art a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness, and repentest thee of the evil. Therefore now, O Lord, take, I beseech thee, my life from me. For it is better for me to die than to live. Verse 10. Then said the Lord, Thou hast had pity on the gourd for which thou hast not labored, neither madest it to grow, which came up in a night and perished in a night. And should not I spare Nineveh, that great city wherein are more than six score thousand persons that cannot discern between their right hand and their left hand, and also much cattle. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, again this morning we come into your presence and we give thanks for the word of God, for the freedom that we have to meet, for this opportunity to be together and to have fellowship. And also we look to you now that by your Holy Spirit you would teach us from this book of wondrous heights and depths and glories ever new, which in 10,000 various lights brings Jesus into view. And we want to see him this morning. And we pray that you would lift up our eyes, that you would be real to us through your word. You would speak to our hearts. You would let us know that you're working in our lives. You would give us encouragement and instruction and help along the way. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Jonah is a book uh, that deals more with the believer, more with the prophet, the servant of God, than it does with the nations. Most of the prophets, uh, all of the, the ministry that you see in the book of Isaiah or, or any of the other minor prophets even, their message is concerned with other people. And the book is nearly completely taken up with what they had to say to other people, but not Jonah. You have four chapters, and three of the four chapters, three-fourths of the book, God has to spend dealing with the servant of God, dealing with the person who's supposed to deliver the message. And I find in that sense that the book of Jonah is a big uh, lesson to us today because God has a message to send. He wants it delivered to the world around us. But he has great trouble getting that message delivered because he has to spend three-fourths of his time, roughly speaking, dealing with us. We, the messengers, are the problem. (laughs) Then once the message is delivered, okay, then we say the ball is in their court. Then they have to decide what they're going to do with it. But what if they don't hear it? What does it say in Romans 10? How will they hear? How will they call on him of whom they have not heard? And how will they hear? lest someone preach to them. And how will they preach unless they are sent? And so the Lord is asking the question there. How do you think the heathen are going to hear the gospel? How do you think people that don't know the Lord are going to hear it? 
Oh, they're going to look at the stars. Or they're going to fall in love with a flower. Or they're going to watch the Discovery Channel and think, isn't the Lord great? I don't think so. We know that the Lord testifies to us of his power and his Godhead, of his wisdom. When we look at creation, David said in Psalm 8, When I see the heavens, when I consider the heavens and all the works of your hands. He said, what is man that you are mindful of him? Psalm 19 says that the heavens declare the glory of God. But none of those things tell people how to be saved. None of those things tell people what the condition and the need of their own heart is. They don't get that by looking at clouds and stars and rivers and mountains. The God who made all of those things has something more personal to say to us. And in the case of Nineveh, it was what we would call the bad news. Now, we would like it, maybe, if the Lord just sent us to say, like that famous uh, tract, God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. But that wasn't exactly what Jonah was sent to say to Nineveh. And sometimes this is the problem, isn't it? If the Lord could just get us to say what he wants us to say instead of what we, with our marketing mentality, with our user-friendly mentality, want to say to people, we want to come on to them in the right way so that they'll like it and the Lord has another plan. Well, in the case of Jonah, I don't think he was bothered so much by the message he had to preach because the Lord said to him in verse 2 of chapter 1, cry against it, preach against it. He didn't have a problem with that. The problem that he had comes out, and he doesn't tell you that in chapter 1. This is one of the things you have to learn about Bible study. You don't always get the answers right at the beginning. You don't always know the why. And sometimes even when you finish reading the book, you don't know the why to certain things. But you don't always get things clarified or explained until you keep reading. Further along, further along, here comes the answer. And there are things that are raised, questions that are raised in the Old Testament that don't have an answer until you get to the New Testament. And so one of the things I always say to people, when you run up against something in the Bible that you don't understand, keep reading. Keep reading. Don't stop right then and go start asking people for the answer. Just keep reading. You might find it just a few verses or a few chapters. A little bit further down the way, you'll find the answer. Now, this is the case in in the book of Jonah. In chapter 1, uh, we find that he's told to do this, and we don't really know why he he left and went in the opposite direction in verse 3 until you come to chapter 4. And then when Nineveh repents, he says in verse 2, he begins to justify himself. Chapter 4, verse 2, he said, Isn't that what I was saying? That's what I was thinking. You see, that's why I did all that. And he begins to to justify himself. Was not this my saying when I was yet in my country? This is why I fled to Tarshish. Because I knew, he's saying, I knew that I could preach this message to them and they might repent and you might forgive them. And what he's saying here is, he's confessing that he was thinking back in chapter 1, Oh, so God is going to punish Nineveh. Hmm. Syria. Assyria was the greatest enemy of Israel in those days. And the king of Assyria had built Nineveh into a huge fortified city. And Jonah, this is like the superpower of those days in Jonah's thinking, like a patriot. What happens if the message doesn't get there in time? You know what happened at Pearl Harbor, don't you? 
there was a message decoded, a warning of an attack, an imminent attack, and it was sent. And they, in military communications channels, they have different classifications for messages, flash message and all different kinds. But anyway, some of them are supposed to go right through to the commanding officer and be read immediately. Well, the man who took the messages, it came in, in, in at Pearl Harbor and looked at it and he didn't pay attention to the classification and he put it in the inbox for Monday morning. It was there, but it didn't get delivered. And so nobody was ready for the attack. And it's just a classic case of miscommunication. But in this case, Jonah was doing it on purpose. He didn't want them to get the notice of the attack because then he was willing to sacrifice himself and thinking, he's reasoning, you see. If I do this and this happens, then Israel will be rid of its greatest enemy. Yeah. Uh, by hate and by patriotism. But the, the biggest problem here is when God tells us to do something and we begin to reason about it. And instead of just simply doing, he makes it easy. He says, go do this. Well, we think, well, I want to know why and how and what if. And, but I think that in this situation, it might be better. I know we're supposed to, how many times we start off, I know so and so and so, but, and we put the but in there. A brother who discipled me years ago told me, when you hear people talk that way, such and such and such, but, he said, forget everything that went before the but. Because now they're going to tell you what they really think. Oh, I love sister so-and-so, but you just forget everything that went before the but. Now they're going to tell you what they really think. That was just the, the, the cushion, the padding they put in there. Now comes the truth, you see. And, and so this is what happens. The Lord here wants Jonah to go and warn them. And he's going to do a great work in Nineveh, but Jonah's not interested in that. He's got his own plan. He's got his own agenda. And he's reasoning and manipulating the will of God instead of simply doing what God told him to do. And God doesn't like that. He didn't like it in Jonah. And he doesn't like it in us. There are so many things, not only in the Old Testament, but the New Testament, that the Lord explains clearly to us and tells us plainly what we ought to do and what he wants us to do. Uh, who was it? Mark Twain who said uh, the, when they asked him about the Bible, he said, yeah, he'd read it. And he didn't have any problem with the parts he didn't understand. The, the things that bothered him about the Bible were the things he did understand. And uh, that's probably where our trouble is. It's not the part we don't understand. We don't have mm, great difficulties with that. But it's the things that the Bible says we ought to do. And we, all of us have 64 theological reasons why that doesn't mean me and I don't have to do that in this situation. See, And this is exactly what Jonah is doing. So let's um, run through the book quickly and see what we can take out of it in the time that we have before us this morning. Chapter 1, we're going to call God Calls Jonah. When I study a book, that's one of the things I like to do first. I just read it through and I don't take any notes I don't I don't write anything I just discipline myself to read it from top to bottom without doing anything else and then I go back and I start reading it a second time and I make a note how, how many chapters well there's four chapters so I write one two three four on a piece of paper and I read a chapter and then I write down some title for that chapter some descriptive uh, sentence or title something that gives me the contents of that chapter just my own words 
Next chapter, next chapter, next chapter. And that's all I write. Okay, now I'm fixing in my mind basically what the content of the book is. And these are things, of course, you're going to go deeper than that as you go along. But this is a, a good way to begin in the study of a book. So you give it a title. God calls Jonah and Jonah disobeys. Chapter 2. Jonah calls God. And God listens. Jonah didn't listen when God called him. And this is our trouble. But God listened when Jonah called him. Suppose the Lord treated us like we treat him. The psalmist says, hear me, O Lord. Hear my cry, O Lord. And the Lord says, "Uh uh-huh. Yeah, but I spoke to you yesterday and you didn't want to listen. So today I'm not listening to you. Suppose the Lord did that. (laughs) He doesn't do that, though, does he? Jonah calls God and God listens. Chapter 3, Jonah preaches and Nineveh repents. That could have been chapter 1, by the way. (laughs) We'll get to that in a minute. It could have been chapter 1, but that's chapter 3. Way down the road. Jonah preaches and Nineveh repents. And then, in chapter 4, Jonah resents. He's displeased by the repentance of Nineveh and the fact that God forgave him. Jonah resents and God corrects. So he spends three-fourths of the book dealing with the prophet. He had less trouble with the Ninevites, less trouble, no trouble at all with the fish, with the wind that he sent on the sea, with the gourd, with the worm, anything else that he sent along and sent to do something, it obeyed exactly what he told him to do. And isn't that ironic? And isn't that 21st century <laughs> You have to say, as you read through this, Lord, help me to be like the fish and not like Jonah (laughs) in chapter 1. Help me to be like the wind and not like Jonah. Just do what you say to do and stop trying to reason about it. And stop trying to play a spiritual chess game with God. You know, well, if I move here, if I do this, then this person will do that and this will work. Don't worry about that. If God said to do it last year, the quartet sang that song God said it I believe it that settles it it's always been one of my favorite songs because it's a very sound uh, theology it's a very uh, piece of very sound advice for the Christian life just do what God says and you know what obedience is in, in, the, in its essence it's trust when we're dealing with God I don't have to understand what how everything's going to work out. I don't have to know why. I don't have to be like a little child when his mother says, uh, come over here and sit down. Why? You know, we feel a lot of times with children, we have, and, and we spend too much time sometimes trying to explain to them why, as if they only have to obey us when they can see the logic in it. You know? And when we do that, we're teaching them a bad habit about how they're going to relate to God. There's, there's trust involved in it. Your son or daughter's out playing in the street, chasing a ball, and a car's coming. You say, come here right now. And if he stops and stands there and says, why? That could be fatal. 
when we began to raise children, a, a servant of the Lord who's now in heaven came into our home and we asked him for some advice. And he said, teach your children that obedience means now. Teach them to obey. That He said, they can learn it. Don't worry, they can learn it. It's not mean. It's not harsh. They can learn it. He said, the problem is the parents. He said, we just can't get the parents. If we could get the parents to do what they ought to do, the children can learn. Children are bright. They're quick. And they can learn. They have their problems like we do. But they can learn. They're capable of it. He said, the greatest problem that we have is convincing the parents to do what they need to do. And he said, they would just do it. The children would learn it and, and follow along. But they don't do it. So the Lord is working on us. And he's working on Jonah. And he's saying, obedience means now. See? The word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. That literally means, if you go back to the Hebrew in verse 2, it literally means it stinks. Their wickedness has come up before me. What in the world is that? You know? And wickedness, sin, affects God. God's not an impersonal force. We all know that. But this is something we need to think about, that it, it irritates him, it affects him, it's disagreeable to him. Sin. And so he sends Jonah to cry against the city of Nineveh. Now, I want to ask you a question. What's difficult to understand about verse 2? What's difficult to understand about the instructions there? It's like Wuchan has the marble, right? I mean, this is not a complicated proposition here. And Jonah didn't need to say, I'll pray about it. He didn't say that. He didn't say that. But that's what we do instead of just outright saying, no, I'm not going to do that. Our first line of defense is we say, oh, I'll pray about it. <laughs> I'm willing to pray about it. But Sister, when the Lord reveals his will to us, when we have it so clear in the word of God, he doesn't want us to pray about it. He just wants us to do it. Time for praying is over when God has spoken. Time for praying about what God wants us to do. We should always pray and not faint. But you know what I'm saying, don't you? See, we do that and we say, oh, Lord, please help me to understand your will. And he says, what do you mean? I just told you. <laughs> and what's difficult about this? Jonah's problem and our problem so often is not a lack of information. We don't need to hear another sermon, read a book, uh, see a video, listen to a cassette, go to a study, have a seminar on it. Most of the things that God wants us to do are so clearly explained in his word. And the problem with evangelical Christianity, the problems that we have as evangelicals are simply this, that we don't trust God. We don't, we don't do, we're not an obedient people. We are people full of self-will and rationalizing and figuring and planning and, and manipulating. And this is what gets the church in our century into so much trouble and makes it sometimes people look at the New Testament and they say, wouldn't that have been something? How they lived back then and how, what would it be like? And I wish we could have a, and they, they're kind of, um, reminiscing or wishing for the good old days. They just can't understand. They say, well, why can't things today be like they were back then? Well, it's real simple. The early Christians trusted the Lord and did what he said. That was it. And you know why they trusted him? 
because they loved him more than they loved themselves. So we're not talking about military obedience here. You do it because it's the law and you're going to get court-martialed if you don't. We're not talking about that. We're talking about loving and trusting and obeying. And what does the hymn say? Trust and obey, for there's no other way. No other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Jonah's got to learn that. But this is the thing. It's so easy to see in Jonah, isn't it? Oh, if that had been me, I would have gotten right up. Why why did he do that, we say? And the Lord said, "Uh uh-huh. And then he can name things in our lives, can't he? And say, and what about you? Why did you do this? And why didn't you do that, he could say. Well, did I not express, express myself clearly? Did I say something hard to understand? Read my lips. He says, do this. And we do exactly what Jonah did. But... And that's the way verse 3 starts. Jonah rose up to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He knew exactly what he was doing. He had clear instructions, no lack of information, and he got up and went in the opposite direction. And how many times in a Christian's life, never mind the unsaved, how many times in a Christian's life do we rise up, get up, and do things that we already know that God doesn't want us to do? We know it. We know it. It's a dangerous thing. Uh, I can't remember the word uh, in English right now, but in Spanish it's soberbia. It means to sin with arrogance. It talks about that in the Old Testament. The person who sinned, I I could remember that word right now. I'll look it up later. Uh, Sinned knowing what he was doing. The Lord said, that person can't come and bring a sacrifice. He was belligerent in his sin. And this is the case Jonah's getting himself into. He knows what God wants him to do, and he doesn't want to do it. Clear disobedience. So, does God uh, send a lightning bolt? That's what we say in Spanish, que te parte un rayo. When people are mad at each other, they say, I hope a lightning bolt splits you in half. That's what they say. Que te parte un rayo. God doesn't do that. Could God have taken Jonah's life right then? So many things could have happened to Jonah. Besides what happened to him. It wasn't a problem for the Lord. The Lord didn't want to take Jonah's life. He wanted to teach him to listen and to obey and to find the blessing in doing that. He wanted to teach him. And he wanted to teach him something about the character of God, the attributes of God that Jonah didn't, Jonah didn't know. He knew in his head, but not in his heart. In, in verse 1 of chapter 9 and in verse 2 of chapter 4, you have the creed of Jonah. You go work that out on your own. But there's Jonah's creed. I don't know if he recited that, but he mentions it here in chapter, nine, uh, chapter 1, verse 9, what he believes. The God of, I believe in the Lord. I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, which made... The sea and the dry land, I know you are a gracious God. Chapter 4, verse 2, merciful, slow to anger, of great kindness, and you repent of the evil. That's Jonah's creed. It has no effect on Jonah's character and on Jonah's behavior. So the Lord is going to teach him to believe the things that he says he believes. A few years ago, someone wrote an article called Orthodoxy and Orthopraxy. 
Orthodoxy is to have, uh, to have the correct belief. And orthopraxy is to have the correct practice. And he said there's a big difference between people's orthodoxy and their orthopraxy. He said a lot of times we have orthodoxy but not orthopraxy. All, we have all the words in the right place. But in practice, and this is the way Jonah was, he knew all of these things. In practice, he wasn't living them. He wasn't practicing what he said he believed. And so the Lord is working on Jonah about this, but he wants to use it in our lives also. So here he goes. He goes the opposite way. It says, you believe God ever speaks with irony, with tongue in cheek? He says in verse 3, he went down to Joppa. He went down uh, to Tarshish into the ship. And in verse 6, it says, uh, verse 5, it says, he was gone down into the side of the ship. He's going down. He's going to go down one more time. Verse 15. Thrown into the sea. And in chapter 2 you see he went down and down and down. He's swallowed by the fish. And now he's at the bottom of the sea in the belly of the fish. The Lord said to him after his little excursion in chapter 1. Oh you like to go down. You like to go down. Okay let's get on the down elevator. Let's go down. And he took him down. In chapter three, uh, chapter one, verse three, there's another expression that's full of irony. He says, "He paid the fare." I'll say he did. And this is a lesson. This is a warning for us that when we can decide, see, we're free to make decisions. We're free to decide, but we're also free to suffer the consequences of our decisions. And decisions have consequences. And we need to think about that ahead of time. And Jonah didn't. He paid the fare. He, of course, they're talking about paying the passage to be on the boat. But this is a, a double meaning here. He's paying for what he's doing. It's going to cost him and everyone around him. Because here the chastening begins. God let Jonah disobey. He let Jonah make his choice. And then God responded to that. And so the rest of chapter 1 until you get to the end of chapter 2 is the chastening that God sends Jonah through to bring him to the point where he doesn't do what he did in verse 3. There's a lot of lessons in here, and we don't have time to go into them all. But I want you to think about this. Jonah brought all kinds of grief and trouble to everyone around him when he was suffering. All those mariners... They were afraid, verse 5. And they're uh, crying to their gods. And that word, when it says they cried every man to his god, that word really is, is like the word, um, how can I describe this to you? It comes from a word that means the sound that a raven makes, uh, this raucous. It's not just praying and saying, oh, Lord, help me. It's like, ah, and these are the mares, these are the old sea dogs, the, the old salts, the sailors, the probably Phoenician sailors who sailed from that part of the, the world to the other part, Tarshish, which is an area of Spain, and not too far from where I live. And these were experienced sailors, and they're frightened, and they're throwing everything. Everything, the cargo they had is lost now. It's thrown out into the sea. They, they got financial loss. They think they're going to lose the ship. They're in terrible emotional turmoil. The whole agenda of the voyage has been disrupted. 
And it's all the fault of one person. And not only do we displease God and get out of his will and lose the blessing when we do things like that, but we also cause people around us to suffer. All these other people are suffering for one person who's determined that he's going to have his way. You know, that happens in a family, having a marriage, happening in a church. So many different ways this happens. Some hard-headed person who just doesn't want to do what God tells them to do and how much suffering they can cause. So if you don't want to obey the Lord because you love the Lord, think about the people around you, the trouble you might be causing them. Jonah didn't think about that. Well, we've got to get out of chapter 1 or we're never going to make it here. So, he says, I'm a Hebrew and I fear the Lord, verse 9. I told you about that the other day. And you say, yeah, my dog's a theologian. You fear the Lord, huh? You fear the Lord. Oh, this is what a person who fears the Lord does. You see, when, a, when you disobey, and I'm saying you because we're having an extended conversation, but don't think I'm not including myself, okay? You disobey God, you lose your testimony. You don't lose your salvation, but you lose your joy, you lose your blessing, you lose your testimony. See, there is eternal security. The Lord saves us because salvation is by grace through faith, not of works, not by works of righteousness that we have done. You can't be saved that way. You can't earn it and you can't keep yourself saved by doing anything. Only the Lord can save you. But the Lord has his woodshed too. We don't lose our salvation, but he has his woodshed. Now, I don't know if you all know what a woodshed is. Back in the old days, they took you out behind the barn and pick up a piece of wood and tan your hide. That's what they used to say to me when I was growing up. And even in Spain, they call it dale leña. Leña is wood, like cut firewood. They use that expression, you know, or caña from the, the cane, the caning, you know. They have all these expressions. So this is what the Lord does. He corrects us. He could have blown Jonah away, but he didn't want to do that. And the Lord is patient with us. He'll keep working with us. And it didn't take Jonah as long as it took Jacob. Jacob. Ooh, 20 years. The Lord has 20 years. Do you have 20 years? You have 20 years to learn a lesson? The Lord has 20 years. He's got 20 years. He's got 40 years. How many years do you want him to take? He's eternal. He can last longer than we can. He had 20 years. So he sent Jacob. That's another lesson. I'll just say it quickly. He sent Jacob over to live with Laban. Jacob had to live 20 years with somebody who was just like him. He deceived me. He changed my wages. He, and he's complaining about all of this. And oh, the Lord is so patient. It's so easy to see it when it's somebody else, isn't it? When they're doing it to us, it's easy to see. It's so hard to see when it's us. What he'd done to his brother, ah, he just didn't get it. He just didn't get it. So the Lord had 20 years to teach him and to break him and to humble him. And he's teaching Jonah. and He's breaking him and he's humbling him. Jonah didn't fear the Lord, but he's going to be taught to fear the Lord. When he got in the mouth of that fish, He's thrown over. And uh, verse 17 said, The Lord prepared a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. When he got in the mouth of that fish, or we should say after he spent three days and three nights in the belly of the fish, because that's how stubborn he was. Then he prayed. Then, chapter 2, verse, then he prayed. 
This is a wonderful prayer. But why didn't he pray this prayer in chapter 1? See, if we have a low breaking point and we're quick to obey the Lord, obedience means now we can save ourselves. All of this, take your scissors and cut out chapter 1 from verse 4 all the way to the end of chapter 2. Just cut all of that out. Into chapter 3 and verse 2. You cut all of that out from 3-2 back to 1. We'll cut all of that out and take it away. Because none of that has to be there. And there are things that happen in our lives that don't have to be there. They're there because of us, not because of God. God can do it. He has time. He has time to work on us. So Jonah prays a wonderful prayer. Nine psalms are quoted. Nine different psalms are quoted in this prayer. And let me just say real quickly that the, I love the psalms. The psalms uh, teach me the language of prayer. They teach me. I learn in the psalms how to talk to God because in the psalms you have everything from thanksgiving to rejoicing, uh, prayer requests, sorrow, uh, extreme depression, uh, feeling abandoned by all your friends, being surrounded by enemies, fearing for your life. Everything you can think of is in the psalms. So I like to read through them. You know, if you read five a day, you'll read through them in a month. And I did that for I don't know how many years in Spain. Every morning I go out walking with the mountains out there to my right and just walk along a country road and I read the psalm, read five a day, read them out loud to the Lord. Nobody's out there. Spaniards don't get up early. And I was out about six o'clock in the morning walking down this road and, and just praying, reading the psalms out loud to the Lord and talking. And we had some wonderful times of fellowship out on that old country road. <laughs> That was my temple, my house of prayer. The Psalms are full of the language of prayer. And you read them and you'll say, I need to say that to the Lord. That's, look, he's going through the same thing I was. So there we have it. And this is what he does here. But it's not until he comes to the end when he says in verse 9, I will sacrifice unto thee with the voice of thanksgiving and pay that which I have vowed. Because he was a prophet, he had made vows to serve the Lord. And in Numbers chapter 30 and verse 2, it says, If anyone makes a vow to the Lord his God, he will fulfill his vow. See, the Lord doesn't forget. He remembers our vows and he wants us to remember them. You made a vow to the Lord, you keep it. But then he says something even more important. He's crying out to the Lord for salvation. He realizes that he's been preserved alive there in the belly of the fish when he could have been eaten. He could have been drowned. He knows the Lord is at work and he's full of hope now and he cries out, salvation is of the Lord. And when he says that, the Lord has him spit out. Now Jonah appreciates mercy because he's been put in a situation where only God could help him, where he was certainly doomed and God helped him. Now he's being prepared to preach. Um, Mr. Booth, the founder of the Salvation Army, which isn't today anything like it used to be when he started it, but he used to tell his men, he was teaching the priest that he'd like for them to spend 30 minutes in hell. He said if he could take them and put them for 30 minutes in hell, he'd never have to tell them again how to preach the gospel. He could put them there for 30 minutes and take them out. He said, boy, you'd preach the gospel. I tell you, you would. Well, Jonah's coming out of three days in the belly of the fish where he was really in the grave where he was gone. And the Lord is bringing him back, see. And he says, the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah on the dry land. The fish didn't say... Why do I have to vomit him out? I was going to digest him. Uh, the fish didn't do like we do. Here? Right now? You mean right here? No, he just did it. 
He just did what the Lord told him. And this is probably the only time in history that anyone's ever been glad to be found in a, in a pool of vomit. <laughs> but I tell you, I think Jonah was glad. I think he was glad. And he was glad to get cleaned up later on. But, you know, the acid of the fish, the fish's stomach, probably left him marked. There was a man who was swallowed by a fish back in the days of the whaling ships. And uh, they got him out of the, the whale. The next day, uh, he was, the boat was knocked over. He was thrown into the sea and disappeared. They thought he drowned. And the next day, after they were cutting away all the blubber off the whale, and they saw something moving in the stomach. And they hoisted the stomach up onto the deck of the ship and cut it open. The sailor was in there, and he was alive. And he was a raving lunatic for about three weeks. But then he came back into his, uh, how do you say that in English? I was going to say his cabales, but that isn't a word. In, yeah, his right mind. There you are. Thank you. And uh, he said he would have died of starvation in there because he could breathe. Isn't that something? And he was marked. His body was marked by the acid. It was like parchment. It's white, bleached white parchment, his skin from the acid of the stomach of the fish. And you wonder if Jonah wasn't marked for life, you know. And sometimes, because disobedience has its consequences, sometimes the Lord leaves us marked. What happened to Jacob? He limps for the rest of his life. But he learned. He learned. So the word of the Lord comes to Jonah the second time. Rise, go to Nineveh. It's like the Lord said, let's see now, uh, where were we? Uh, I believe I was telling you to go to Nineveh and preach. Wasn't that in it? Jonah jumped right up and he went. He learned his lesson. We say this is the lesson, this is the chapter that teaches us the God of the second chance. The God of the second chance. Not for salvation. We're not talking about people dying and then God saying, okay, I'll give you another chance to believe the gospel. We're talking about believers who can have a second chance to serve the Lord. Now, I might be talking to somebody here this morning and you feel you really blew it. You know you didn't do what the Lord wanted. You disobeyed him. Maybe you could say, I've been just like Jonah. God's not through with you. God's not through with you. God is patient. And God's going to give you another chance to serve him. He's the God of the second chance. And he's going to tell you just like uh, happened here. He's going to go back to that point maybe where you got out of his will. And he's going to say, now we're going to, we're going to start on this again. Here's where we were. And sometimes when we teach children to obey, that's what we should do. You tell them to pick up their toys and they don't do it. And you have to correct them for it. But don't go pick up their toys for them. Put them right back down there in the same situation. And say, now, where were we? Until they learn. And believe me, if you can stick to your guns, they can learn. They can learn. The question is whether you can do it. Whether you can learn to do what you need to do. But they can do it. We've raised seven and, we, and we've seen it in other people's lives. And they can learn, I tell you. So here's Jonah's second chance. And he gets up and he goes and he preaches and the whole city repents. How do we know the city repents? Well, they didn't say, I repent, but they showed it with their deeds. Fruits of repentance. They humbled themselves. They showed fear and fear of the Lord and sorrow for their sins. And even the king, you know, he gave a, a good example, didn't he? He got down off his throne. He set a good example for everyone else. And the Lord saw their works, in verse 10. He saw the fruit of their repentance. Of course, the Lord saw their hearts, too. But the, the, this verse is emphasizing the fact that God, he is, he does look on the heart. And that's what he's first interested in. But don't think that God doesn't care about our behavior. 
Don't think that only that because he looks on the heart and the inside and that's the most important, that that means he doesn't care about your behavior because that's wrong. He does care about it. And he's looking to see what the people in Nineveh did. And they turned around. That's what repentance is. They turn and go the other way. And it says, the Lord repented of the evil he said he would do to them. Now, that word evil doesn't mean wickedness. It means the disaster that was about to happen to them, the tragedy, uh, the punishment that was about to come upon them. The Lord said, well, now they've repented. And that's the only way to get God to withdraw punishment is by repentance. We humble ourselves. But, but Jonah didn't like that. He resented it. Chapter 4, he resented it. He was very angry. He was displeased. Literally, that uh, expression in verse 1 is, if you translate it most literally, you would say, it was evil for Jonah. It was like bad news to him that the Lord spared Nineveh. He wanted the city destroyed. And so here he comes with his reason. Now, Lord, isn't that why you see, you see, and I went to Tarshish for that very reason, because I knew you didn't know anything. Look at what he says. He's, he's saying this in his anger. He says he was very angry. And so you have to get this. He's praying angry. He's fussing at God. This is not reciting this as a creed. He's fussing at God. And, and in his angry voice, he's saying, You are a gracious God and merciful and slow to anger. How does that sound? <laughs> and I worship you. Yeah, right. <laughs> it is completely... Uh, ridiculous what he does here. This is head knowledge. You know, this is the problem with us so many times. We know these things about God, but we don't feel them. And in chapter 4, just to sum it up real quick, the Lord is going to teach Jonah to care more about people than he does. See, Jonah knows that God is gracious, but Jonah isn't gracious. Jonah knows that God is merciful, but Jonah isn't merciful. Jonah knows that God is slow to anger, but Jonah isn't slow to anger. Jonah knows that God has great kindness, but Jonah doesn't have it. And God says to you and me, I know you know things about me, but I want you to be like me, he says. I want you to be like me. I want your theology to get into your character and change your life. Now listen, my neighbor's Bible. I am my neighbor's Bible. He reads me when we meet. Today he reads me in my home, tomorrow in the street. He may be relative or friend or slight acquaintance be. He may not even know my name, yet he is reading me. And pray, who is this neighbor who reads me day by day to learn if I am living right and walking as I pray? Oh, he is with me always to criticize or blame, so worldly wise in his own eyes, and sinner is his name. Dear Christian friends and brothers, or we could say, and sisters, if we could only know how faithfully the world records just what we say and do, oh, we would write our record plain and come in time to see our worldly neighbor one to Christ by reading you and me. See, this, this is it. Not just know the character of God, but have our lives transformed like it. He wants us to be like him. He's conforming us, the New Testament says. This is the will of God, the destiny, the destination, the predestination of every Christian to be conformed to the image of his Son. God is working on you and me, and he wants us to cooperate with him. Let's pray.
We thank you, Heavenly Father, for this time that we could be together this morning and for these few lessons from the book of Jonah, which we pray will be a blessing and a help to our spiritual lives and that our behavior, especially the way we treat other people, will be a direct reflection of what we really believe about you. What we know about you will affect our character. We pray that you will teach us the blessing of obedience and that you will use our lives to reach other lives as you used Jonah when he finally obeyed you. What can you do through us if we just surrender ourselves to you and let you have our lives to serve you? We pray that we will find the answer to that question in a life of obedience that comes from love and trust. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.